Welcome to the Gems of Motherhood. I'm your host, Sharon Khan. I'm here to connect you with some amazing gems of mothers from all walks of life. Each week, you'll hear interviews as well as resources and actionable tips that you can implement in your daily life to be the best gem God has called you to be. Thanks for walking this journey with me today. And don't forget to subscribe to the show. Now let's get into episode 15 with Stephanie Fast. An adopted child or children that come from hard places carry labels anyway. Right. You know, we're rejected, we're abandoned, you know, we're not wanted. Those are very hard labels to carry. But when you have medical labels put on you... <laughs> Uh, that's even harder because then we're sort of saying, okay, they told me I'm like this, so I'm never going to change. Well, this is a topic that we don't quite discuss, but I think it'll definitely be helpful to some. There are so many things that we can discuss in regards to this topic. Stephanie Fast will be speaking to us about how to parent children who come from hard places. Abandoned at a young age, Stephanie wandered the war-torn countryside of Korea. Due to her biracial ethnicity, she was abused and violated in every way. Finally, she was discarded and left to die in a garbage dump. A World Vision nurse miraculously rescued Stephanie and placed her in an orphanage where she was later adopted. Despite the lavish healing love her adoptive parents poured into her, Stephanie's past tormented her throughout her teens until her personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Over the past 30 years, her story and teaching have been on TV, radio, and magazines, and other people's books. She recently wrote her first book, She Is Mine. She has been an advocate for orphans and adoptees her whole Christian life, believing there is an orphan in each person without Jesus. Welcome to the Gems of Motherhood podcast, Stephanie. What an honor. Thank you so much, Sharon. It's an amazing honor. No, the pleasure is all mine. You have such an incredible story and it just really didn't do me justice just reading your bio. And, you know, I would love for you to share a little bit of your story as we talk in this episode. You know, I mean, you came from a difficult place yourself, like, and your story is just incredible. You were discarded and left in a garbage dump. And just tell me a little bit more. I'm so speechless. <laughs> well, you know, I'm only sitting here talking to you because for me, it is the grace and mercy of God. And I believe for anyone to come to a place where they can sort of look at their life and say, there's a purpose and a meaning for everything that I've experienced in my life that, you know, if we give it to the one that created us, he can do something amazing with it. And so I always, not, not by bragging, but I always say I'm a miracle person. Mm -hmm. I'm a miracle person. And I think everyone can be, but everyone, not a lot chooses to be when they have the type of background that I've had. Mm -hmm. Like you said, I was born in South Korea. Um, pretty much either during the war or after the war. I really don't know my age. Mm. My adopted parents, of course, gave me an age. And how they did it is they took me to the doctor or the dentist, I guess, mm -hmm. and they examine your teeth. And okay. according to how many teeth you have at a certain age, they can sort of calculate, you know, between two or three years 
how old you are. So they gave me the youngest age, which at my age now, I'm really thankful for (laughs) (laughs) because I may be hitting the other numbers that I don't want to hit. So, (laughs) but um, yeah, so I was, of course, like you said, abandoned. I mean, I have early memories of my family. So I know I was old enough to remember my biological family. And I have memories of my biological mom really trying to protect me and love me as much as she knew how. Mm. And so uh, just the culture and how society functioned in South Korea at that time, her family pretty much, I think, made her make a decision whether she was going to be cast out with Mm. this biracial little girl or she needed to have a life for herself. Mm -hmm. And I really don't know if she had any intention of abandoning me when she put me on the train uh, because she told me that she was sending me to my uncles. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if her family had arranged that no one was going to be at the other end to meet me. uh, And she innocently put me on the train. I like to think that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I'm a mother and a grandmother and it's hard for me to even fathom Right. The heartache that she must have felt when she put me on that train, especially if she thought she would never see me again. Right. But, you know, I, I don't know that part of her story. And only in heaven will she, um, will I know. And actually, when we get up there, I think it'll really matter too much. But yeah. anyways, yeah. Um, so I found myself abandoned mm-hmm. at a very young age, but again, old enough to remember everything that happened. And um, again, society and culture in South Korea at that time looked at little children like me, one, that had no family lineage, which Mm. in Asia, that's very, very important. Second, being a mixed. um, I think they thought of children like me almost as maybe how in our society 200 years ago, 300 years ago, we thought of people of color, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. people right. of color just did not have feelings. They didn't even have physical feelings, you know, yeah. that. And so looking back again, I realized all the abuses that I received living on the streets really wasn't because of how cruel they were. I just think they were dealing with their own pain. Mm-hmm. They were still trying to, you know, build their country back up, build their families back up after the war. And I was just a reminder of the horrors that their country went through. Mm. And so, um, but, you know, I was raped. (laughs) Mm. I was uh, beaten. I was thrown into human septic wells. I was tied to a tree. I was tied to a water wheel. You know, I was thrown into wells. Um, That continual things that just took such a toll on my body and my mind to the point that I pretty much became emotionally broken. Mm-hmm. I didn't, what was the reason for crying out and asking for help, right? Because that just sort of brought about more pain yeah. and more abuse. So, so I just became, I mean, I don't know what zombies really are, but I think <laughs> I was sort of like a zombie. Yeah. Uh, I just existed, never really had hope for tomorrow. Mm. But I do believe that each one of us, we have the spirit that has been given to us, no matter what our physical life is, that little spirit 
there's a God that just continually just speaks to that spirit, even if we don't listen to it. And I look back at my childhood and I realize that he was there all the time. Mm -hmm. He really was. Mm -hmm. And he was broken along with me. He was um, doing everything in his power to rescue me. And although physically I went from one abuse to the other, in every memory that I have, someone came to rescue me. Even if it was just for a short time, just, you know, because God said, I came to give you life. Mm -hmm. And when death was in my face, it's like someone came to rescue me. And so I realized he was there all the time. And um, he took all those broken pieces of my life. And when I was willing to give it to him, he started mending it all back together again. Wow. Yeah. What an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, These days, there's so many children who come from hard places and many are adopted and there are, you know, plenty of foster kids around. When families adopt or foster, what are some challenges that they would anticipate to face? Well, you know, I think sometimes people feel like, well, if I adopt my child when there's there's a baby, we have all the, you know, we can shape them in the way and we can lead them in the way that they should go. But, you know, science has proven that from the time a child is conceived at a certain time, three or four months in their mother's womb, they start hearing the outside world. Mm. So if insecurity or if a sense of abandonment, we think it starts, you know, a child experiences it more when they're like my age, when they have memories. But every adopted, especially international children, I, I, I do uh, deal with some domestic adoptions and, of course, in the foster world. But a lot of the young people that I mentor are actually international adoptees. And mm. so the, they'll say, well, why do I feel this way? Because you know, I was adopted when I was a year old or right. you know, when I was two years old. But that sense of abandonment and that sense of rejection of, sort of formulates who we are. And it's not, again, for me, until I gave my all to Jesus that my perception of life and my perspective of why things happen begin to change. Mm -hmm. And so um, once they come into a forever home, it just, um, it takes more than just love. Right. You know, it takes uh, understanding. It actually takes what I call unconditional love, which I think for most of us, we really have no concept of. Right. Um, and only way we understand that is to understand the unconditional love of Jesus. Mm. But uh, every child is different because we all have different personalities and how we perceive life. But as adopted parents, not that we are in fear of the things that our children will go through, because again, I think if you fear too much, that is what we project to our children, but that you are aware that they are going to ask questions that are awkward and right. questions that are painful, even for you as an adoptive parent. And there will come also a time when they may push you away mm -hmm. because they're trying to find their own identity. And, and not to look upon it as rejection of you as the adoptive parent, but it is actually more of a rejection of themselves. Mm. 
and in that, that you're continually sort of put yourself aside. That's the unconditional love part, right? Yeah. Uh, put yourself aside and says, okay, Father God, what do you say about this beautiful daughter or son that you have given to me? And how do I convey who they are in you? Mm-hmm. And in doing that, we don't do it in a preachy way. <laughs> right. Because I think as soon as you do that, it's It'll push them away. Yeah, it just cuts them. But you do it from a heart that says, this is how I see you. And you bring in what God has told you about that daughter or son. Mm -hmm. You need to know in your own heart why you adopted them, you know. And you did not come to be the rescuer, but you came to to create a family for them. There's a big difference. If an adopted child feels like you're their rescuer, they feel like it's a duty, but when they realize you're part of the family, you love them, you, there's no sense of color or, or no sense of difference, mm-hmm. um, they, they will come to that place where they accept you and they accept who they are. Right. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's really challenging. Obviously, some of these adoptive parents may go through ways and seasons where the child might reject them and may push them away because they're searching their own identity. How would mm-hmm. you tell parents and moms to overcome some of these challenges? It's, you know, it, it, it it's hard when you're being rejected. And obviously it's worked both ways, right? The child has yeah. been rejected and now mm-hmm. they are probably portraying that to the parent because they don't mm-hmm. know how to express their feelings or mm-hmm. emotions and they don't know how to accept love, which I'm assuming that really the issue. Right. How would you, you tell parents or, and moms to overcome some of these challenges? Because it is hard. Well, in any parenting, <laughs> this is the hardest, <laughs> that we don't have a relationship with our children because it's best for us, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. If from the time you hold your baby, you realize you have died to yourself right. and you're giving <laughs> yourself to that child. Absolutely. <laughs> right. And it's the same thing, if, you know, when you bring uh, the adopted child into your family, it is it has nothing to do with you. And that's the hardest thing. And and I just want to say this because I did it with my parents is when I was struggling with my identity and that sense of rejection, you know, psychology basically says you are hardest on the people that you feel most secure with. Mm. I did it with my husband when mm-hmm. we got married. I was really hard on him because I still had not come to the place of really loving myself. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't believe that he loved me, right? Mm-hmm. So I did everything in my power to push him away. But in my heart, I was saying, don't leave me. Don't reject me. You know, it's, yeah. it's crazy how we act when we come from, you know, trauma. Right. But children do that. And I did it with my uh, adopted parents. I mean, my adopted parents were jewels. Mm-hmm. Uh, They were the best of the best, and I am so thankful for them. But when I was 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, anytime I felt cornered Mm -hmm. or I was caught in a lie or, you know, something like that, instead of owning up to it, 
I would spew out this anger. You're not my mom. You're not my dad. You can't tell me what to do. I'm going to run away. You know, those right. kind of threats. <laughs> but inside, I was saying, of course, you're my mom. Please don't tell right. me you're not my mom or my dad. Please right. don't throw me out. You know, if I, I run down the street, please come out and catch me. Kind yeah. of like thing. But of course, if you only hear the words from the child that is broken and wounded, you're going to take it at as personal attack, mm -hmm. but it's not personal attack. Mm -hmm. I think that's the first thing an adopted parent needs to understand that when a child goes through those periods in their life, they're trying to find who they are and all children are. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have biological children and I have children that came into our home, you know, not from my body, but they all said the same thing. You know, even my biological children, they would say, don't tell me what to do. I'm an adult now. And I'm saying, no, you're not. You know, I'm still paying your bills. Kind of thing. But, uh, you know, just to, just to love them and not take it personally. I think yeah. that's the best place to be. Because if you don't take it personally, then you have the strength to know how to help them. Yeah, that's great. I, I can absolutely see when you said, you know, they said, don't go away, go away. But deep in your heart, they're like, no, don't do it. It's yeah. it's like kids, any kids, they test your boundaries, right? They right. test your limits. And that's so much so of human nature. Um, you know, coming back to the subject, like how can we create a safe environment for the children? Well, again, it depends on the, the severity of their trauma, I think. Mm. Um, as a parent, you need to assess if your child has um, some mental damages that has been done to them. Hmm. And if there has been mental damages that have been done to them, there's a difference between psychological um you know, damages and environmental damages, right? I think for me, I had environmental damages. And although I had some, of course, uh, but I didn't have chemical imbalance. I didn't have a mother that was an alcoholic. I mm -hmm. did not have all those kind of things that makes a child have more issues. And if that's the case, you need to get professional help. Mm. Um, have have your child assess. But in saying that, do not be quick to assess your child. Yeah. I think what I see oftentimes, we create for our children who they are by what the professionals say and not by what the spirit says. Mm, right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, an adopted child or children that come from hard places carry labels anyway. Right. You know, we're rejected, we're abandoned, you know, we're not wanted. Those are very hard labels to carry. But when you have medical labels put on you, <laughs> uh, that's even harder because then we're sort of saying, okay, they told me I'm like this, so I'm never going to change. Mm -hmm. um, right. But when you see them doing self-damage... When you see them being destructive in the home, when you see anger that cannot be controlled by just love and, you know, soft discipline, you need to get professional help to see what's triggering all this and mm. if there's a way that they can be uh, helped in other ways. 
But if it's just um, emotional outbursts and you just realize that it's circumstantial and they're just dealing with their identity and their purpose in life, it takes a lot of um, just constantly reinforcing who they are. Mm-hmm. Just to give you an example, you know, I came to the States when I was 12. And in South Korea, you know, they told me I was this foreign devil, right? Mm-hmm. And I really didn't see my physical self until I was, a, you know, until I was adopted. There was no mirrors. There was no windows. So I didn't know what I looked like. So for me, I looked like what I was told, you know, okay. this foreign devil. And the only, like, demonic thing that I could connect to or something that was scary was sometimes when I would walk be- next to, like, shrines or temples, I would see these really grotesque carvings. Yeah. So I thought, well, I must look like that. That's why people are repulsed by me, you know. Oh, so okay. I created what I looked like and who I was. Yeah. And so the first time I saw myself, of course, I didn't look at myself and like, oh, I'm not as bad as they say they are because that's who I thought I was. But I was so angry that I looked so Asian. Mm. <laughs> it was almost like, you know, they were telling me I didn't look like them. So right. why do I look like them? Right. And so then when I came to the States, I thought, okay, I'm going to be like an American, right? And we think an American is, you know, blonde hair, white skin, mm-hmm, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is not the case. But that's what I, and we settled in a small southern town where there were no people that looked like me. Mm-hmm. Um, there were people of dark color and there were the whites but none that really looked like me and and I'll never forget the first day I went to school a little black boy again he had not seen an Asian Mm -hmm. and only thing he knew was Chinese right and he came up to me and he said are you Chinese and my first reaction because I'm from the streets I bopped him in the nose. <laughs> so my first day of school in America, a little, this boy and I ended up in the principal's office and to make this long story short, we became great friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but at the same time, I realized I was not an American. Right. And so I had this huge identity issue. And my dad was so gentle with me. He realized that unless he could get me to see myself the way he saw me, mm-hmm. that he needed to constantly do this, what you call mirror reflection. And so we sort of had an everyday like a ritual where I stood in front of the mirror because I really hated what I looked like. Mm-hmm. And he would set, set, set me in front of the mirror and he says, Stephanie, this is who you are. You are beloved. Mm. You are a child of God. And he would list all the things that the Bible said about me. And of course, and I would squirm and try to get away from him. But eventually I began to relax in front of the mirror. Right. And I began to accept who I was mm. and accept that I wasn't what I thought I was, or, mm-hmm. you know, in the way that I love. I think so. It's that way with parents, too, that adopt international children or even children of color into their right. families. Yeah. And even, you know, children of their same color is that because we have a, we don't see ourselves the way the other sees, see yeah. us. So we have to continually do what I call mere you know, therapy, like, mm. even now, I am an old grandma, yeah. every once in a while, the lies of my past catches up with me, mm. 
And not that I want to be vain, but I stand in front of the mirror and I say, Stephanie, you are not. But the lies that want to go through my brain and I say, this is who you are. And once I do that, that settles into my spirit and that's who I am. Mm. That's awesome. I mean, it's so true when you look at the mirror and you see the image that God created you, you know, um, and, you know, as I was going to talk a little bit about identity, besides the mirror therapy that you suggested, how else would you help these children in the area of identity, of being confident of who they are and just loving themselves? One of the things that I do in my mentoring, of course, for me, because I'm a follower of Jesus, Mm -hmm. and for the ones that I mentor, I have to bring them to that place. It's really Mm -hmm. hard to mentor someone when they are in opposite theology with you. Um, But, you know, a lot of the children, they are believers of Jesus, but they are not followers of Jesus. Right. Because, again, um, and but as long as they believe, I, I we do, you know, one-on-one, um, and I practice mere, mere reflection with them a lot. Mm-hmm. But another thing I do is have them voice what they're feeling right then and there, and then just really ask a simple question like, do you believe that's the truth, or do you believe that's a lie? Mm. And they sort of look at you because they'll say, well, of course it's the truth because that's how I feel or, you know, that's how I see myself. And I say, well, I'm sitting here and I think it's sort of a lie because this is what I see in you. And they'll sort of, you know, sit back and go, well, you know, they don't know how to answer. And then, you know, we do the whole thing again. Mm. Um, you need to listen not to your brain, but you need to listen to your heart. So we do what we call spirit-to-spirit connection mm-hmm. because, you know, even as parents, yeah. we ha- our children have to connect with our spirits, right. you know, it's, and so um, when you bring them to that place and then you connect them spirit-to-spirit with Jesus because, you know, the Word of God says, you know, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be your greatest comforter. I will lead you in the way that you should go. I, you know, I am the counselor that you need when they recognize that i'll say okay let's find one or two or maybe five scriptures in the bible that defines who you are Mm -hmm. and could you practice that on a daily basis Mm, again it's sort of rewiring the brain right you Um, have to it's a renewing of mind i mean even in the bible said it's a renewing of mind and transformation yeah um just because there's so, you know, the when the enemy lies to us, it's just, it, it's like, it's like, it's like the lies are just so much more bigger. But we know that God's love and God's truth is bigger. Right. Right. Um, I I'm sorry to cut you off, but keep no. going. <laughs> no, no, yeah, and so it is that we rewiring, and I think, you know. Oftentimes, there was a time when science and religion sort of clashed, right? Mm -hmm. We thought, oh, if you believe in science, you can't believe in religion if you believe in religion. But we're seeing more and more that it's merging together. Mm -hmm. Science is proving what the Word of God has said. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the last 10 years in in the field of psychology and psychiatry, they have come to realize that we can rewire the brain. Mm-hmm. There was a time when, you know, someone was so damaged, we just would say, there's no hope for them. 
but they've discovered that positive input, spirit of gratitude and thankfulness and just repeating of what you know to be the truth, it can cause you to rethink. And so again, for parents, I would say that it's not a one day journey, right? You know, it's, it's sometimes a lifetime journey and people bring different mentors into our lives. You know, I had my parents, of course, and I had some amazing, um, you know, adult mentors in my life. And that's why I do what I do because I know sometimes parents can't do it all. They need help from other sources too. But, you know, then my husband came into my life, poor thing. You know, he had no idea the damage that I had because, you know, I, I put on this mask and oftentimes, you know, people that come from hard places will do that. They will act a certain way outside of the home than they do inside the home Mm. because they want to be accepted and they want it to be to others to look at them as undamaged. Right. Mm. Uh, So that's how my husband saw me. He saw me as this, you know, adorable Asian woman that he fell in (laughs) love with, but I brought a lot of pain into our marriage and, God was so gracious in giving Mm -hmm. him the grace to love me where I was at, Mm -hmm. but also to speak truth to me. I think so often we're afraid to speak truth to someone that has been wounded because we think then it will wound them more. Mm. But truth that is spoken in love breaks the bondages. So, So you have to know again, the time. That's why you as a mentor or you as a parent have to be so close to the um, God of wisdom because you don't want to jump in and just say you have to wait for the time. And and if you're willing to play that role in someone's life, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so just by a lot of the things that were modeled to me by my parents and what I learned in just um, just sitting in classes and yeah. and uh, listening to other people and then what was modeled to me by my husband, I, I and definitely, again, what was modeled to us by Jesus, mm. that causes us to be the mentors that we need to be. Yeah. Amen. Now, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your book. Can you tell us a little bit about it and where my listeners could get it? Oh, sure. Um, my book is called She Is Mine, and it's actually just my all my childhood memories. Mm. And um, But I, when I first began to write it, you know, I wanted to interject Jesus in everything, right? Because <laughs> that's where I But my editor said, no, you need to just tell a pure story right. and let God interject himself. Mm. And I thought, how does he do that? But <laughs> we did. And sure enough, God has interjected himself in every chapter because I have letters by the thousands from non-believers. Oh, or, wow. And saying, I read your book. I sat down and I read it in four hours or I read it on a business trip, you know, on the plane. And I'm just overwhelmed by your story. But it's like in every chapter, there was someone else there besides you. And I go, yeah, you know, Jesus was there with me. Really? How do you know that? And, you know, and I'll just share with them where I am today. So I, we have seen God use it in such amazing ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, if you just go to my website, stephanie.org, you can order through there. You can order through Amazon. Right. Um, the bookstores carry it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might have to order it like 
it, they may not have it on the shelf, but they have it in their catalogs. Oh, that my husband says a stephaniefast.org. <laughs> yeah. And it'll be it'll be in my show notes. Um yeah. so anyone who's interested in purchasing it, they can yeah. go to the show notes to get more right. info on it. Today actually we're going to be giving away Stephanie's books to three lucky winners. Head on over to write us a review on Apple Podcasts and three lucky winners will be picked randomly to receive Stephanie's book. The submission will be open for the next two weeks. Now, Stephanie, tell me, you know, we're pretty much almost at the end of the show, but is there, um, what are some actionable tips that you would like to share or suggest to moms or families who need encouragement in this area? One, don't give up. (laughs) I've seen too many parents give up. Mm. Don't give up. Believe in yourself and believe in your child. And third, realize that God has the answer for you first and second answer for your child. Fourth, what I want to say is this, is you need to know who you are first. Mm. If you don't know who you are, how can you reflect where your child needs to be? So if you need mentoring, (laughs) if you need some professional help, if you need encouragement and prayer, reach out to someone because you need to walk in your own confidence, right? Mm -hmm. The confidence of who you are in Christ. Because I think so often we reach out to help a child in need when we are in need ourselves. One of the things that I say in my book is that I realize we're all orphans without Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so if you have an orphan spirit, let God heal that in you first. Mm. And then once that happens, then you can give out of the abundance that God has for you. Mm. Awesome. Um, I love but those Create tips. a community. You're not in it by yourself. Right. Create a community. Yeah. And of course, there's always hope in Jesus. Yes. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share with other gems of mothers out there? Well, first, I believe in you, and Jesus (laughs) believes in you. And I just want to encourage you to walk the faith and walk the life and realize that if your child is in there, between the time you got them to the age of 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, they might still be walking a life of pain. But if you inject in them all the wisdom that God has given to you Mm. to impart to them, they will come of age and they will be able to see who they are in Christ. Mm, Amen. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for sharing so many gem nuggets with us. This was so amazing. Um, And, you know, your book, I'm sure is amazing. And we just, I just thank you so much for sharing your story, for sharing your wisdom um, to all the moms out there. Well, it's an honor. Thank you. And I just pray that it blesses. Yes, it will. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Gems of Motherhood podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more amazing Gems of Mothers and more resources, head over to gemsofmotherhood.com where you can subscribe to the show. That's where you'll find show notes with actionable tips and any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I hope you will find inspiration and learn to cultivate your own journey. You are loved. You're an incredible gem to God. He knows you intimately. He knows what you're going through and he knows what you need. Remember, you're fearfully and wonderfully made in him. 
Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.